Today on The Voice of Prophecy, we're going to talk about one of the biggest risks a person can take, a huge gamble that almost everyone makes. And I promise you, if you've never done this, you've at least thought about it. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Welcome to another edition of The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes or so. And today I'm going to talk about serious risk-taking. And I'm not talking about finances or risking bodily harm. I'm actually talking about something far more common and far more risky. I'm talking about the risk of letting other people into your life. Now, if you're a dyed-in-the-wool introvert like me, the kind of person who loves to be alone then building a new relationship kind of seems more of a bother than a risk. If you're an extrovert, someone who actually gets energized when they're around other people, you might be wondering how friendship could actually be considered risky, because the more friends, the merrier, right? But I'm not actually talking about casual acquaintances. I'm talking about your good friends, the close ones. You throw open the door. You bear a piece of your soul. You give a piece of your innermost self away to someone who actually has the capacity to hurt you just because you let them in. It's a huge risk if you think about it. One that destroys a lot of people emotionally when it goes bad. You risk betrayal, humiliation, rejection, misunderstanding, and yet it's still something you crave anyway. Even the most rejected and despondent person on earth, the person who just quits trying because it hurts too much, that person still wishes it would work. They, they still wish they could get close to someone. And you've got to wonder why. Let's think about this. If this life is really just about survival the way some people talk, if you and I are just biological machines with an interest in self-preservation, then surely you and I are past this point of needing other people. I mean, think about this. Mass production has created a world where your basic physical needs can be met without any meaningful interaction with other people. All you have to do is put in your hours at work, buy your groceries at a big box supermarket, pay your bills, keep to yourself. It's not a problem. You don't really need other people. And yet that's not how it works. You still crave some sort of deep connection with somebody else, even if you've been hurt in the past, even if you don't really trust anybody, even if you've been crushed by somebody else there's still a part of you that wants a relationship. You, you know, there's a reason we use solitary confinement as a form of punishment. It's because you and I are actually hardwired to be social beings. Now, that doesn't mean that every individual pursues companionship in exactly the same way, or that we don't have varying needs when it comes to how much interaction you want. It just means that every human being seems to crave this at some level. And you've got to wonder why. Now, if you go and ask an evolutionary biologist, I imagine that he or she might point to the social animals that live out in your backyard, animals like bees or ants, who live in mutually beneficial communities. With bees and ants, it's all about survival. Their chances of surviving improve because they work and live together, and they even have clearly defined roles in their communities that contribute to the overall health of the whole community. But again, let me point out that on a purely physical level, our basic survival has never been simpler than it is right now. 
you and I don't really need intimacy to handle the basics of life, like food and shelter. You just need some sort of contact with people that facilitates the exchange of physical goods. That's all we need on a physical basis. And I also have serious doubt that ants or bees actually spend time exploring each other's feelings, listening to each other. I doubt that their interpersonal connections are anywhere near as deep as ours. The comparison just isn't valid. You don't have whirlwind romances or bitter divorces playing out in a beehive, at least not as far as I know. The human capacity for relationship runs very deep. And it comes with a huge amount of risk. The kind of risk that sometimes leads to crimes of passion, like the stabbing of a young girl who recently turned down a suitor at a Connecticut high school. This boy asked her to the junior prom, and she said no. And minutes later, she's on the ground dying of stab wounds. Now, all the early reports that I read suggested that he was an ex-boyfriend. And if that's true, almost all of us can suddenly recognize why he did it. We might not agree. We might not understand how someone could bring himself to commit such a horrible crime. It's inexcusable to us. But at the same time, we recognize the complicated emotions that lead some people to make rash decisions. We don't understand brutal violence, but we do understand passion. We do understand embarrassment and hurt. Now, you might not have killed someone, nor would you ever do it. But to some degree, you have felt the sting of rejection, the hot embarrassment, the feeling of loss of control that comes from gambling on a relationship and losing. Over the years, I can't tell you how many guys I know who have called me utterly despondent because their long-time marriage just fell apart. They risked everything for a relationship. They gave a huge piece of themselves away to somebody else. And now their personal sacrifice is being trampled underfoot. And, and you know, I guess it doesn't even have to be a marriage. It doesn't have to be romance. I can almost guarantee that right now, some of you are thinking about a friendship that went south. Someone took your trust and walked all over it. He or she failed to respect your personal boundaries. They were more interested in taking than in sharing. And that left you wounded, less willing to trust people. Now, I've got to take a short break, so we're going to do that. But when I come back, I want to look at one of the most heartbreaking violations of trust that anybody's ever experienced. And by that, I mean in the whole history of the world. And I'll show you how that person completely overcame it, how they beat it. If you find yourself betrayed or crushed with disappointment, I really think you're going to want to hear this. So don't touch the dial. Don't you go away. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Some of the most intimate language ever put on paper describes God's desire to have an intimate relationship with you. Now, that comes as a bit of a surprise to some people who tend to think about a relationship with God in terms of their own needs. We love to quote a theologian like Augustine who said, Our hearts are restless till they rest in God. Or we love to quote the philosopher Pascal who talked about a God-shaped vacuum that exists in every human heart. 
In, in the 21st century, we have this tendency to think about God in terms of His capacity to meet our needs. But it's pretty rare to hear someone talk about our capacity to fill God's needs. Because, of course, God doesn't actually need anything from us, does He? I mean, we are just mere mortals, and He's the Almighty. So what in the world could you and I offer Him? The Bible teaches, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're not even on the same playing field as God. How could we ever have a real relationship? It's never going to be an equal relationship because He is God, and we are, well, mere mortals. We are sinners. So we don't really think about what God wants from us. But if you read through the Bible carefully, you make this remarkable discovery. A huge percentage of the scriptures deal with God's heartbreak over a broken relationship with us. He might be the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe, but he's also a real being, a real person, if you will, who has the absolute capacity to experience feelings. God understands what betrayal feels like. I mean, just listen to the way he describes the nation of Israel in Ezekiel 16, and you get this sense that maybe we've been telling the story all wrong. Sometimes we like to talk about God as if he's eager to destroy the wicked. He wants to send thunderbolts, and he's only holding back because of some sort of legal obligation. But that's not the way the Bible reads, not even close. Listen to this. God describes Israel as an abandoned baby that he finds laying out in a field, and he nurses the baby back to health. You find it in Ezekiel 16, and I'll start reading in verse 4. As for your nativity, the Bible says, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. God says that Israel was an abandoned baby, an abandoned baby left out in the elements to die from exposure. It was a fairly common practice in the ancient world. Verse 5, No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out in the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, Live! Yes, I said to you in your blood, Live! This baby just can't survive without God. Because, you see, God's not only the author of life, He's also the one who holds this whole world together. You and I could not exist if it wasn't for Him. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what happens next. This is Ezekiel 16, verse 7. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked over you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then a few verses later, verse 14, it ends like this. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. Listen to the story carefully. God falls in love with us. You and I are hardwired for intimate relationships because that's the way we were created. We don't have friends just because we need help to survive. You and I were made for deeply personal relationships because that's exactly what God wants from you. But then we damaged the relationship. We violated it. And the Bible describes that violation in the language of adultery, unfaithfulness. I mean, just listen to what happens next. 
Now, I'm going to read a bit of this because I want you to listen to this in terms of your own violated relationships. I want you to hear the pain in God's voice. This is Ezekiel 16, verse 50. He says to this woman, But you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. Now down in verse 17. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver which I had given you, and made for yourself male images and played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them, and you set my oil and my incense before them. Also my food which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour, oil, and honey, which I fed you. You set it before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. This is a deeply personal betrayal. I gave you everything, God says. I made a covenant with you. I married you, and then you threw it all away. You took what I gave you, and you gave it to somebody else. That's the way God describes betrayal all through the Bible. In fact, listen to this passage from the book of Jeremiah, which was written on the eve of the Babylonian captivity. This is Jeremiah 3, verse 1. Listen to this carefully. They say, If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You see, when your spouse cheats on you, When he or she runs away with someone else, it leaves permanent emotional scars. You can never really set things back exactly the way they were because, well, in the language of the Bible, the land has been polluted by a serious breach of trust. But now I want you to listen to the rest of the verse. I want you to listen to God's heartfelt desire. Listen to the way that he deals with our treachery. Here's what he says. But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. It's unbelievable. He calls us back. And and that's not what a vindictive God does. That's not what a God who wants to destroy you does. A vindictive God would just wipe you off the map. He'd get rid of you. A God of love. A God who designed you for intimacy. A God who craves your companionship. He's willing to forgive. He's actually willing to take us back. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about what that means for you. And why it is that you still have hope for intimacy, even though you might have been hurt again and again and again. But right now we're going to take a short break because I want Gene to tell you about our award-winning Bible school, the Discover Bible School. You know, we've had more than a million people take this course over the years. I just met our millionth graduate a little while ago, and everyone who's taken the course tells me they understand the Bible much better than they ever had before in their lives. And they tell us that it's changed them, that they feel a deeper relationship with God, that God is more real to them. And so we're making that available to you absolutely free. So I'm going to let Gene talk to you about that, uh, give you the information you need to get your first copy, your first lesson in the Discover Bible course, and then when she's done with that, I'll come back and we'll talk about how God deals with our treachery and how that applies to your relationships with the people around you. And I guess the big question we'll address is, can you trust God? Can God trust you? Is there a future for your relationship with Him? I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Like, where is God when people suffer? Or can I find real happiness? And is there any hope for our chaotic world? Are you searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions? 
Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You know, one of the most remarkable stories, one of the most mind-bending stories in the Bible takes place in the life of Hosea, a prophet that God actually asked to do something very unusual, something really painful, something I don't think I could do. God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Now, not a reformed prostitute, not someone who had left that lifestyle, but an active prostitute. He was asked to marry a woman who was guaranteed to cheat on him. Here's how the story opens. It's in Hosea chapter 1. This is Hosea 1 and verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. It's an object lesson. God doesn't really want us to be unhappy. He doesn't really want us to marry a prostitute. But this is an important lesson for the whole nation of Israel. It's an object lesson that lets Israel see how badly they've hurt God. In this story, again, God compares our violation of his trust to a wife who leaves her husband. And true to form, just like you might expect, Hosea's wife leaves him. And the story turns out pretty much like you'd expect. But what you don't expect is what happens next in chapter 3, when her lifestyle suddenly catches up with her, and she finds herself being sold in a slave auction. Now, I can only imagine what kinds of guys would show up to buy an old prostitute at a slave auction. I can only imagine how despicable the whole crowd is. And I can only imagine the crushed spirit of a woman who's been used by the world over and over, and now, for some reason, she's been spit out. I can only imagine the feelings of worthlessness that come from being sold like a piece of meat. But then imagine her surprise when her husband suddenly shows up in that auction house, and he pays off her debt, and he takes her home. It's an object lesson. It shows us how badly we've hurt God, and then it shows us what God is like. Even when we betray him, he still wants us. You see, most people, when they read the Bible, only read about God's disappointment and anger. But at the end of the day, God comes to the slave auction to take us back. He pays our debt. He hangs on a rough wooden cross to pay our debt. He gives his life. He pours out everything he has to win back the relationship we used to have. God never closes the door. Because the one thing he desires more than anything in this universe is you. For God so loved the world, the Bible says. It's that famous verse in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, I want you to go back and think about your own life. I want you to think about the betrayal that you've experienced. Think about the way that you opened your heart to someone else only to be betrayed by that person, only to have your heart crushed. You, you actually come to this point in life where you just pull back, and you want to quit taking risks. You put up a callus around your heart. You don't let people in. You rarely open the door to anybody anymore because you're painfully aware of what can happen. You know what betrayal feels like. But in spite of that, your desire for intimacy is still there. It's still alive. 
If you didn't have that desire, this wouldn't hurt so much. If you didn't crave a real relationship, a loving relationship, there wouldn't be pain. There's pain because you are still hardwired to want to give yourself to somebody and have somebody give themselves to you. You still wish somewhere in your heart that it could, it might, happen. Otherwise, just shutting down would be the logical decision. You could just tell yourself, look, I don't need anybody. But the pain tells you you do. The pain tells you something's wrong. The pain tells you that you're still alive somewhere in there, and the pain tells you something or somebody is missing. You have been hardwired for intimacy. And honestly, honestly, you can still have it. People might let you down. Friends, they might betray you. They might throw you under the bus. Your spouse might suddenly say that they no longer love you or that they've met someone else. But listen to the voice of your Creator. Listen to God in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Here's what it says. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. Verse 4, Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. There is a reason that you can't just shut down emotionally, at least not completely. There's a reason that somewhere in your heart you still have the spark of hope. It's because the God we jilted, the God we turned our backs on, is still wooing us. He's still romancing us. And as long as the voice of God calls, as long as God is knocking on the door of your heart, you're always going to feel something. God calls you. He's pulling you back. No matter how far away you've run, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been in life, He shows up at the slave auction and He redeems you from the wages of sin. He says, I can't even imagine my kingdom without you. You know, back in college, if you were an English lit major, which I was for about half a year, if you were an English lit major, you might remember the old story about the Knights of the Round Table. You know, King Arthur, Camelot, all that stuff. And and if you really studied that stuff, you might remember this old story from England that revolves around Guinevere, King Arthur's wife. She had a passionate affair with Sir Lancelot, one of the king's most trusted men. Of course, The way we learn the story is by reading Alfred Tennyson's poem. And that poem tends to glorify adultery the same way that daytime soap operas glorify adultery today. Both the soap operas and Tennyson completely ignore the very real pain and the personal damage that adultery causes to both the violated and the violator. So it's not really an honest portrayal of the consequences of this kind of sin. But the story goes in Tennyson's poem that Guinevere was caught cheating on Arthur. And they're caught. So Lancelot is forced to leave Camelot, and he dies as a penniless hermit because of his expulsion, because of what he did. And the queen? Well, she's sent to live the rest of her days in a convent, locked away from the rest of the world. And according to some versions of this old story, King Arthur goes to visit her one day, and he tries to patch the relationship. He says, Lo, I forgive thee, even as the eternal God forgives. So he forgives his wife, but not quite like God, because Arthur then walks out of the convent, and that's the end of the story. It's over. 
Guinevere is still forced to live in lonely isolation, and I'll admit she probably deserves it. But that's where King Arthur is different from God, because God's forgiveness is far more complete. It's not just a settling of accounts. It's not just verbal forgiveness. God doesn't leave us in exile. He doesn't leave us in the convent. He actually takes us home. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus, John chapter 12, 32. Jesus says, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He's the reason you still have hope. Not only did Jesus forgive you, but he paid your price. He cleared your debt. And the longing for intimacy that you feel, that's never going to be answered by anybody else. It's only satisfied by the living Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul compares our relationship with Christ to a marriage. He's using marriage to illustrate the kind of intimacy that God wants with you. When a man and woman get married, they become one person. They open themselves up to each other in risky ways. They take a chance. And I'm convinced, if we take it seriously, if we do this the way it was intended, I'm convinced that our marriages are actually a school designed to teach us about the heart and mind of God. Our marriage is the best way God can illustrate what He's putting on the line when He offers us a relationship. God's the one with the most to lose. Because, you see, He never breaks His word, and we always do. God's the one who experiences utter rejection. I mean, after all, we killed Him on a cross. And still he takes a chance, because he craves your company more than anything else. He designed you to be with him, and that's the reason you want something. It's the reason you still hold out hope, even if people have betrayed you. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. There's not much risk involved if you open the door and let God in. A relationship, I'll admit, it's the riskiest thing we do. Every time you start a new friendship or a new romance with somebody else, you're letting someone into your most sacred places. You're giving away the key parts of your heart, not knowing for sure if these people can be trusted. But with God, you see, it's completely different. He's always had the keys to your heart. You and I, we snatched them away in rebellion, but he has the keys to your heart. We took over. We cheated God of the relationship that he deserves. Out of love, God allowed us to leave. But instead of starting over, instead of taking revenge, he chooses to patiently wait. God takes all the risk, and you have nothing to lose. Look, I'm going to run out of time in just a moment, and I know that some of you are thinking, oh yeah, right, since when can I trust religion? And I know that some of you have been hurt by church-going people, but I want you to remember, those are people. They are just as insecure, just as confused, just as hurt as anybody else. In fact, those people are a lot like you. And they make huge mistakes because they're trying to guard their own hearts. They're trying to keep from getting hurt, too. So I'm not going to ask you to trust those people. I'm not going to ask you to trust me. I'm asking you to take the one risk that has always paid off. Try moving just a little closer to God. Let me close with a passage from Revelation 7 where John sees a group of people who have really suffered, but they choose to trust God in spite of the pain. He writes in Revelation 7:14, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes.
Now that's something you can bank on. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Now whether you're a classic introvert like Sean, a textbook extrovert, or somewhere in between like me, I'm sure that you can remember a time when letting someone new into your life turned out to be a painful experience. When we interact with others, we leave ourselves vulnerable. And yet we also allow for opportunities to bless and to be blessed. Perhaps you're wondering right now what God has in mind for your life. Or maybe you're wondering if He even knows that you exist. If you're searching for answers to these and other of life's tough questions, I know where you can begin to find answers. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Or visit us online to begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. Thank you.